So Romans uh, chapter 6, here we go. Romans chapter 1 through 3 were about the condition of mankind, all humanity, has a sin problem, is under judgment, facing the death penalty. End of Romans chapter 3 through chapter 5 is, but God's provided a way out. Justification, which is simply by God's grace, through faith in Jesus' sacrifice, right? We just had communion. We can be saved from sin, condemnation, judgment, and actually made righteous because Jesus' sacrifice. He takes the penalty and the condemnation for us. That is called justification. And in the back of my mind, I, I just have this, it's the way I remember these words, and it's really like, I don't know whether I should say this publicly or not, but I don't know if you remember that, that skit with Adam Sandler and Saturday Night Live where he was the Cajun man. I, sorry, some of you didn't watch that, or most of you probably didn't. I shouldn't even say this. But he always would end his words with the I-O-N, the shun, right? So it was justification. They would ask him a question. He would never give a sentence. It would always be consternation and condemnation. Sorry, I guess I, <laughs> I won't do it. So remember, justification, right? And we're going to see other shun words here, all right? Did, did anybody watch that? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, see, you guys are like looking at me like I'm crazy. All right. Anyway, I may be. Um, so we've talked about justification, right? And we're going to be moving into a new word today that's a big word. But justification is a word every Christian should understand. Justification is big, huge. It's not a word for, for seminary and the, you know, the white you know, towers of theology. It's, it's an every Christian person's word. God has justified me, declared me righteous. So what happens is Paul now goes into Romans 6 and he starts to say, so what does life now look like now that you've been justified? And people started to say, hey, there's a loophole. I can keep on sinning. And he, he starts to say, no, 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 you can't start. You can't sinning. Don't you know that you've been baptized? You were buried with Jesus. And he goes through this whole baptism metaphor thing. And then he comes back and he mentions the loophole again in verse 14. And he says, what shall we say then? Here we go. So Romans 6, 14 through 23, that's what we're going to focus on. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? May it never be. How shall we, right? And he goes on, don't you know that anyone who presents themselves as slaves of obedience, they're slaves of the one whom they obey, either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. He begins to start talking about this idea of slavery. It's a big word. In fact, in Romans 6, in the book of Romans, this word slave occurs 10 times. In chapter 6, nine of the 10 occurrences happen. And in chapter 6, 14 through 23, eight of them, right here in these short 10 verses, Paul pulls out, as much as it was about baptism in the first half of Romans 6, now it's about slavery in the second half of Romans chapter 6. He goes on to say this idea of slavery is, is really part and parcel of the Christian life. And I've just forgotten uh, the next verse here, so I'm looking at it here. Uh, 
Let me see, you're your slaves, I want to be the... Oh, but thanks be to God, he says, that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you committed, and having been freed from sin and enslaved to right, or no, but you've been freed from sin and now become slaves of righteousness. He says, I'm speaking to you in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented yourselves, your members, your body, right, as slaves to sin and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves, here's the word again, to sin, or to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What benefit, what value were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. And here comes one of the most famous verses in the Bible. If you know it, quote it with me, verse 23, for the wages of sin but the, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Big verse. And some of you are like, what? Yeah, Romans 6.23, a big verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Slavery slams into the picture. Slave, 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 enslaved. Eight times. Paul's trying to make a point about slavery. Everyone is a slave. What's a slave? Well, it's not rocket science. Someone else's possession. An article of property, totally subjected to one's master and everything, no rights, no legal status, at the mercy of his or her owner. When uh, the team, the freshwater team, went to Senegal earlier this year, we got to stop on Goree Island, which is a famous island just off of Senegal, like a mile or two out into the ocean. And this island was the staging ground for all the slaves that would be captured on the continent, and they would go and be funneled through this island, which there was a fort there and everything, and then put on ships and transported around, what you would basically say, the Western Hemisphere, Western Europe and the United States. 400 years, 20 million slaves went through that island, is what they estimate. And we walked through it, and it was just awful. It was just awful what happened there, unspeakable things happened on this island and then you think it starts there and it never stopped it kept going and this doorway that's there we got a picture of it you could walk through this is called the the door of no return so a slave would walk through this door down a narrow game plank up onto a ship and would never return home again it would be their life forever, slavery. And it was, a, it was a grim picture. I mean, it was dark, you know, limestone walls, basically a prison. And it was just that you felt the heaviness, you felt the weight of what had happened on that island. Slavery's been around since there were tribes and nations. It's always been around. We have a horrible history in our country that we're still trying to overcome. 
England, Western Europe, Asia, South America, North America, Africa, everywhere there has been slavery. Israel had slaves. The Roman Empire during this time had slaves. And, and there's a spectrum of slavery. You have the dehumanization kind of slavery, bad master, this person's not even a person, they're subhuman which is what we kind of think of when we think of slavery, right? When we think of in our, in our country's history, subhuman, awful stories. And, and that's a form of slavery. Then, then you have this spectrum, so that's the worst part. Then you have something less than that, but uh, let's say people that were captured in war brought in, in let's just say in Romans, uh, in the time of when this was written, uh, during the Roman Empire, they would capture people, bring them in. They would be a slave, have no rights, anything like this, but you would see them and trust them with property. They would give them education. They would give them power. They would give them influence, running a whole household. There would be a dignity to it, not that they were subhuman, but they were people still. And then you have over here, uh, I would say on this, the far end of the spectrum, you had even in Israel's history and in Roman's history, a form of slavery where this person is a, a citizen of Rome. This person is a citizen of Israel, whether through bad decisions or financial hardship has become a slave of the one they owe, a debtor slave. So they still have rights. There's still something about their living that they are still citizens. And, and God he even has this laid out in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, how to protect people like that. And they were slaves, though, until the debt was paid off had certain conditions on their living. And so there's, there's this whole spectrum of slavery. And then what's shocking as you read through the Bible is God viewed his people as slaves. Leviticus, he says this. In Leviticus number 25, he says, for the Israelites are my slaves. They're my slaves I brought out of the land of Egypt. The prophet Nehemiah said, God, we're your slaves. I'm your slave. Jesus told stories about slaves, even said, you're slaves. Every person is a slave. He says, you, can, you only have one master. You think you can serve two, but you can't. You either serve one and love one and hate the other, or you love this one and hate that one. Slavery is throughout the word. In fact, as you read through the New Testament, Paul, John, James, Peter, uh, they all wrote and called themselves, and I, they, their identity said, I am a slave of Christ. So here's the question that you and I have to wrestle with. This isn't a deep, you know, heady theological topic today. This is, this is one where it's emotional. This is heart stuff. When I say the word slave, how do you react? As we go through this passage, I want you to think and I want you to pay attention to your thoughts and to your feelings. Do you recoil from the idea that you're a slave? Do you hate that? Do you resent that? Do you reject that? Or do you embrace that? What is it? What's the impact? How do you navigate this topic? Because it is all about it. Romans 6, 14 through 23 is all about slavery. 
Paul says this. They start to look, look for a loophole. Oh, look, hey, now that we're free from the law and under grace, we can sin. And Paul's like, come on. Come on, guys. Whatever. And he makes this premise. He says, don't you know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one you obey, either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. So there's two masters. There is master slave or master sin and master obedience. He doesn't give a third option. Everyone on planet Earth, this terrestrial ball, is a slave. Every person. That is the spiritual reality. We are either slaves to master sin or we are slaves to obedience. And we are slaves of the one we have chosen. Obey the master and it brings either death or it brings righteousness. Now this is the paradox of it all. Because I don't care where you are on the spectrum of evil. I don't want to be over there, but even if we're over here, who wants to be on the spectrum of slavery, right? Did I say evil? The spectrum of slavery, right? It's a spectrum. I don't care where it is, but how many people, your life's goal is to be a slave? Like, you wake up one day, I know what I'm going to be. Remember that commercial that kid says, I know what I want to do when I grow up. I want to be middle management right? I mean, who aspires to be a slave? My life's goal is to be a slave. Just gonna do it. Just gonna go be a slave to someone. And nobody does that. Everybody seems, everybody would think, aim a little bit higher. Shoot for something more. And the paradox of our faith, right, that what it seems seemingly contradictory is it seems absurd. What do you mean, like, willingly transfer control? What do you mean, give up rights? What do you mean, submission? And, and how could this really be good? How could even being on this spectrum be good for anyone? No one wants to be on the spectrum of slavery. But everyone is. Everyone is a slave. It's just a matter of who your master is. And so Paul, as he begins to answer this absurd question that seemingly has found a loophole in it, he says, don't you remember, right? He, he says, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't you remember? He takes them back to when they first found Christ. And he says, you used to be a certain way, right? He says, thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you committed. And having been freed from sin, you were slaves, you became slaves of righteousness. He's like, wait a minute, don't you remember the teaching here? There's, there's no loophole. Don't you remember? You used to be a slave to sin. You heard this teaching about Jesus and, and your heart responded by grace, in faith, about Jesus. And, and he's set you free from sin. Why? Why are you going back to serve a master there? You're set free from that, and now you're a slave to righteousness. So now it's, he uses synonymously and moves back and forth. There's this, this master sin, and there's master obedience, and now he calls it master righteousness. So obedience, righteousness, same thing. 
He's like, don't you remember how this all got started and the teaching you heard? Like, why would you abandon that for some ridiculous loophole? And he goes on to say then, I'm speaking to you in human terms as, as we get into, I think it's verse 19. I'm speaking to you in human terms. Look, let me just break this down, Paul says. Let me put, put the cookies on the low shelf here. We're going to make this real easy. I'm speaking to you because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members, your body, to sin as slaves to sin, right, and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present the members of your bodies to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Now listen to what he says about this sin master. He says, For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What benefit were you then deriving of the things you're, you're now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death, but now having been freed from sin and, and made slaves to God, you derive your benefit resulting or righteousness or sanctification and the outcome eternal life. Paul makes several observations about what it means to live under master sin and then several observations about what it means to live under master righteousness, obedience. So let's take the sin master. Several things come out. First, in verse 19, he says this, when you present the members of your body to sin and to lawlessness, it results in further lawlessness. Number one observation is, when we're under master sin, it creates more. It produces more of it. We're constantly obeying lawlessness and it produces more. Ravi Zacharias says this, sin always takes us further than we want to go. Sin always costs us more than we intended to pay. And sin always keeps us longer than we wanted to stay. That's the sin master. It's hungry. He's demanding. He, he's this you will not only obey me, I'll take more and more and more. It's interesting. He goes on to say, when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. The master, sin, the sin master promises something, freedom. He promises something, and it's actually a true promise. It's not a lie. You can be free from righteousness. And how many times have we heard people, how many times have we even wrestled with this whole thing of freedom? I want to be free to do what I want to do. That's a real freedom that sin promises. You can be free. You can be entirely free of the law and righteousness and the holiness of God. You can. It's out there. There is a freedom that sin promises that is an accurate and true promise. Free to serve sin. No lie about it. The third thing, observation or comparison he makes between the two masters is sin brings a wage. The master of sin or the sin master pays to those who are his slaves a wage. It's death. The wages of sin is death. Anyone who's a slave to sin, you'll be free. You'll be free from righteousness. 
but you'll get death in your account. And not just like in the grave death, but death everywhere. Death that starts within the soul and creeps out and bleeds into everything. I was just reading this past week an article, I think it was on CNN, saying how um, sexually transmitted diseases are, are just exponentially growing. I mean, it's crazy the last four or five years how they're just shooting through the roof. For the wages of sin is death. It brings death. And they're wringing their hands like, we don't know what we're going to do. We don't know how to stop this. And I'm thinking, well, that's, what, that's what freedom from righteousness brings. Death everywhere. Death to the soul. Death to the body. Death to relationships. And I'm like, I got an idea. I know how you can stop all of this. But it means you, you can't be free from righteousness. I mean, free to righteousness means death just goes everywhere. But if, if you become slaves to righteousness, life starts to come, right? I mean, I got a great idea. How about abstinence? No, it's shocking. Paul goes on to make a comparison, as he does this, the flip side of the comparison is this master obedience, master righteousness. And as much as he said, hey, look, this is what happened when you were slaves of sin, he says, but now you've been, but now present yourselves to righteousness, as slaves to righteousness resulting in sanctification. And he says, you know, you're free, when you were slaves of sin, you're free in regard to righteousness. What benefit were you then deriving things in which you are now ashamed? But now having been freed from sin, and enslaved to God. Whoa! All of a sudden, God comes on the scene. Hello! Now we're slaves to God. First it was slaves to obedience. Then it was slaves to righteousness. Now it's slaves to God. He was, uh, obedience and righteousness were personifications. How's that for a scholastic word? Huh? Any kids start school? Personification. I don't know what grade you learned that in. It's a great word. Personification. Another. Right? Huh? Right? And he says two words here. He says it at the end of verse 19 or 20 there. He says this whole, this whole idea of being slaves to righteousness produces what? Sanctification. Right? For when you were freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness, resulting in or producing, right, sanctification again, verse 22, and the outcome, eternal life. Several observations about now what it means to be slaves to Jesus, who is Right, the master obedience, master righteousness. Now it's really what we discover, it's master Jesus. What happens when we become his slave? Several things. One, he also brings a promise of freedom. Isn't that interesting? Slaves to sin, I mean, sin wants, wants to create its own freedom. It wants to imitate freedom. It creates this lie that you have freedom. And I think it's so interesting that Jesus as the master says, no, actually the real freedom is being enslaved to me. And that's where this whole paradox thing, what do you mean I'm a slave but I'm free? Like it starts to like make my brain hurt sometimes. He says, no, you'll be free but look what we're free from, sin. 
When Jesus is our master, we're free from sin. Therefore, we're free then from the consequences of the wages of sin, which is death. Jesus says, serve me, become my slave, and I will free you from sin so that everything that cheapens and dehumanizes you as a person when you're under slave, and when you're under slave to sin, I will, I will make you more alive. I will make you more of a person. You'll be more free to be who you are if you serve me. Not only that, he says, when you present yourselves as slaves to me, I will sanctify you. Twice in Romans 6, sanctification appears. Twice. It's the only two times in the entire book of Romans. So circle these two words, like big circles. This is huge. This is the other big Christian word you need to own. Like you need to know what sanctification is just as much as you need to know justification. Justification says, I believe in Jesus' sacrifice for me. I have faith in that. Therefore, I have a right standing with God. I'm forgiven. I'm set free. Sanctification says, so what now? What happens after that? That's what sanctification is about. After justification, sanctification. And sanctification is two things, two Ps, right? It's position, I have been sanctified, and it's the other P, position, or progressive, right? I am being sanctified. What does sanctification mean? Here's another big word, right? It means to be set apart, to be made holy, to purify. The verb form, the noun form says you have been sanctified, you are sanctified. Therefore, you are a pure people. You are set apart people. And so what the Christian life is about is as we present ourselves as slaves to Christ, he begins to what? Well, sanctification ultimately is a description of Christ. He's pure. He's holy. So what does he say? You come be my slave, I'll make you more like me. How's that for a deal? I mean, that's a great deal. I'll take that. You be my slave, I'll make you more like me. So now all of a sudden this paradox starts to make a little bit more sense. That's not a bad deal. I mean, I think God's a pretty good thing, right? Good person. I mean, I don't know what your theology is, but if we just sang all these praises of him and said he is the most highest being, the one that deserves all the glory, and he's saying, hey, come be my slave and I'll make you more like me. Yeah, not a bad deal. Sanctification. Paul began to describe this through Romans 6, through Romans 7, through Romans 8. And we'll unpack more of that. The final thing Paul says is that it brings life. You've been freed from sin, enslaved to God, resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. So here's the, the last thing about being a slave to Christ is we're freed from sin. We're set apart for him. He's going to make us like him. And then he is going to pour his life into us, his eternal life. Not like 
when I'm dead life, but life right now. So that everything that we touch, everything that goes on in our soul is life. Everything. He brings life to everything relationships to everything because we're set free from sin we live in righteousness so everywhere we go we just bring life everyone we touch life comes because we're slaves to christ that picture i just want to show that picture again as we close that i've thought a lot about this picture as it relates to this message and, and this is one of those moments where, yeah, we're talking way more about free will here and, and our ability to choose, because Paul talks about this. And, and we'll get into the sovereignty later. But, you know, I just had, I had somebody say, oh, this is such a great free will passage. And I'm like, oh, for crying out loud, would you stop talking about that? Did you even hear the message? Do you want to embrace slavery? That's what this is about. We're thinking about free will sovereignty. Can I say that right now? Is that okay? Norm's not here, my theology committee. No, Mike's here. Am I okay to say that? Yeah. Ugh, that stuff just gets me all wound up because I, we lose picture of it. This is an invitation. Will you choose to become a slave of Christ and embrace that, or do you resent it, recoil from it, and, and just everything about that life repels you? That's what Christ lets before us. And I, and I see this picture where he says, will you walk through this door of no return? Never to go back and to serve me forever. Make yourself a slave. He calls the shots. Free for righteousness. No longer a slave to sin. I downloaded the video game on my phone over vacation. I love playing it. I love playing it. Cotton picking phone. This thing, that little video game, you know what it does for me? It's, it's like the little mouse. Press the little thing, get the food. Press the, it feels so good to win. I built a little factory. <laughs> you know what it does for me? It replaces Christ. And I know you got games on your phone, that's fine. I had to delete this thing during the first service. Because I'm like, Lord, I know what I'm doing. I'm thinking more about this dumb game. And for me, it's a lifelong battle video game. I don't know why. And, and you could pray for me that I get more mature. But <laughs> he says, this stuff, Scott, enslaves you. For me, right? You can play video games all day. I don't care, right? And I still play video games, but this one gets me. I had to delete it because it was pulling me away and it was bringing death. It wasn't giving me life. And Christ is saying, look, in your downtime, in your downtime, you're, you're free from that. You're, you, you serve me. Let me fill you with life. You're my slave. Quit messing around with that. You stepped out of the door, Brooks, right? The door, no return. What are you doing looking back? You're mine. You're mine. And he's asking you, is, is this really you? Are you really his slave? Are you? Or do you pretend to be the master in kind of a co-thing? 
or do you resent this? I'll just close with this thought. Jesus said often, this is a hard teaching. And he would watch people walk away from it. And some of you might walk away from this today. You go, this is way too offensive. Way too offensive. I just want to encourage you. This is the, the only path. Everyone is a slave. You're a slave. I'm a slave. The question is, which master will we serve? Sin, which brings death. Christ, which brings life. Let's pray.